0: You to bow in prayer as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 to 15. Gracious Lord we thank you that indeed when the world says there is no truth the word of God says there is a truth. There is truth and I pray that you'd open our eyes to see it and your spirit would empower us to live it. In Jesus name. Amen. So those of us who have been looking forward and saying well we're going through 1 Timothy, what we're going to get to this week? They're going hmm, this is going to be an interesting section because I think we've come to a section of scripture which is going to test us. It's going to test what? It's going to test our capacity to talk about important issues in a way that promotes the health of the community. And we come to what may be a potentially divisive issue. I'm not saying it is, but it may be for some. And as we do, we need to remind ourselves that why do we come together each week? We come together each week to encourage one another in the faith. That's our starting point. And our goal is together to search the Scriptures diligently, to place ourselves underneath the authority of the Scriptures, and also to talk lovingly to one another, don't we? And the world doesn't do that. The world has been modelling for some time now a different way of how you deal with issues. You see, what they say is, well, you think about it and you work out what your position is. Good. Having done that, you gather all your arguments to support your view and then you go armed with those things and you go and find as many similar-minded people as you can and then you persuade them to come with you into battle to make your viewpoint the dominant viewpoint. And you'll use anything you can, particularly you'll use advertising skills, you'll use any emotionally charged way of saying it, so that your view can be claimed as being the only valid view and you do everything you can to discredit what they think and discredit the people who hold those opposing views. And sadly at this point, or at the point where you have made up your mind about your issue, That's the point at which you become closed to learning more information. And that's the point at which people become closed to others with different viewpoints. And that's not our call, is it? To do it that way. It's not our call to form into an opposing camp about an issue. It's our job to remain as one camp and look at the issue. And to give people freedom to come to an understanding under god which may or may not be the same as ours because our call as christians is not to fight over whose opinion is correct it's to listen carefully to the others so that we can form the best opinion that we can ourselves and our call is to balance the boundaries to know the boundary that says this is where i stand i have a boundary which is firm but it's not brittle it's a boundary which can move if it gets better information and it's not a boundary which I'm going to use to attack your viewpoint from and so in our text today we're going to come to some very plain language from the Apostle Paul which has the potential to antagonize half of the people on the planet because there's about half men and women and my prayer is that we'll be able to stay relaxed and we'll be able to stay loving and we'll be able to stay open to learning as we discuss biblical teaching about the roles of men and women so let's look at 1 timothy 2 verse 11 a, wom- a woman should learn in quietness and full submission i do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man she must be quiet for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with proprietary. We live in unprecedented times really in the history of the world For the status of women. Western culture, women in Western culture in the democratic, the free market economies that were built upon Christian foundations have a status that they've never had in the history of the world and it is an outcome of a biblical worldview. You see as Christianity spreads throughout the world its redeeming effects that elevated women and set them free in many ways because the Christian ethic basically declares there's equal worth, there's equal value for both men and women. And husbands were commanded to love their wives and not exasperate their children. And if you contrast that, for example, to the Roman uh, system, they had something called patria potestus. And basically it meant that the man had absolute power of life and death over his family, including his wife and when this patria potestas was finally repealed by an emperor who was really moved by what the bible said women were released from they were released to have control over their property they were released to be allowed to be guardians of children for the first time and also this biblical view of husbands and wives as equal partners enabled christian women to start marrying later you go what and marry men of their own choosing because the main practice had been the arranged marriage find somebody 11 or 12 years old and promise her to be the bride and today in our culture you don't have to marry someone because someone's mum says you've got to marry them and she can't actually be legally married as a child bride and in non-Christians of parts of the world This is not the case in this very day, in this very age. What about the impact of Christianity on polygamy? Well, we know that many men, including biblical heroes, had multiple wives, but Jesus made it clear that was never God's intention. Whenever he spoke about marriage, he always put it in the context of monogamy and he said, the two, not the three or four, would become one flesh, the two. Take two other cruel practices abolished as Christianity gained influence. In India, if your husband died, the woman used to be buried alive on the funeral pyre with you. In China, there's a crippling practice of foot binding. that's designed to make women totter on their pointed slender feet in a seductive manner. It was designed to, oh, you poor thing, I'll protect you. It's designed to do that. And that was finally outlawed only 100 years ago so really take the big picture as a result of jesus christ and his teachings women in much of the world today and particularly in the western world enjoy more privileges and more rights than at any other time in history and if you just want to see the difference take a trip into countries that are under sharia law see the difference that's the big picture Now, before we get to this biblical passage i want to give a nod to forces that are around ideas that are around in the world which are trying to attack the biblical worldview you might remember for example from our message on Gnosticism a few weeks weeks back that there have been people around since the beginning of Christianity who value their feelings above logic and common sense and they rely upon their feelings to let them know what's true rather than on their thoughts and sensible logical understandings oh what a feeling is the basis for their views rather than what does the Bible say? In this arena, you have postmodernists who are saying, We're all prisoners of our life experience and our cultures. We can't possibly be neutral, so we can only know our truth. Biblical views, oh, that's just your opinion, that's your truth. And then the, that flows on into gender theory which says that your biological sex and then your gender well, they're completely different things. Gender is just the ideas that your culture dreamed up about what it is to be a man or a woman and so you can dream up your own views about what it means to be a man or a woman according to what suits you. And what's, imp- what's even more they'll say it's li- therefore it's important that we accept whatever you dreamed up to be valid and we don't want to change your mind because that would be hateful and telling people they're wrong well that promotes violence and oppression and that can be called hate speech and then that there's the feminism stream where feminist theology wants equality for women and what they mean by equality is different from what we mean by it and that means for them that they want to oppose and dismantle all male centered systems of power and systems of domination and systems of exclusion. And they think that these systems of male power and privilege have shaped the history of the church. They've even shaped the way we interpret the Bible because they think the Bible is written by men for men. And that means that it's oppressing women and it's silencing them and excluding them from their systems. And women therefore need to be liberated from this and cultural Marxism one more player sees life there's a struggle between the powerless and the powerful therefore oh the men have the power we have to struggle against them so I mention those just to say they're out there and those ideas may you might oh maybe a little bit of that is filtered into your thinking uh, and to say also that those ideas are illusions they're fanciful they're not right And they're tools the enemy is using to try and snatch away our trust in the Word of God. Do you start to doubt yourself? You hear people say stuff and you say, Oh, I wonder if the Bible's true? The Bible is true. Doubt what they're saying. You see, when it comes to evaluating their ideas and philosophies, the things that people say about the roles of men and women, we have to make a very clear fundamental point And the point is, the quality of any decision or conclusion that you come to depends upon the quality of the information on which it's based. See, most people don't scrutinise the source of their information. It just takes too much time and effort. And what most people do is they just pass on what they have heard from somebody. How many times have you heard people saying things about the Bible and you just know they never read it. They're just passing on what someone else said about it. And so what we're trying to get to today is to base our decisions and conclusions directly on the Bible. We're not trying to make up. And I'm not trying to make up what we're going to say today. We're not looking around at the culture and saying, hmm, everyone else is doing this. We need, we need to match that, or we're out of date. And we're not thinking, ooh, that's a bit harsh, that can't be right. We're not saying, such a complicated issue, I can't decide. Uh, I'll just do what it seems right to me. We're not saying, well actually I want it to mean this and so I'm going to go look for the verses which justify my viewpoint. No, today we are wanting to stand under the authority of what the Bible says and this means that if we, even if we don't like it much we're going to accept it and we're going to live by it until we understand why the bible says it this way Just a couple more setting the scene things before we get into it and one is this, this this thing about genre you know that writing an exam essay is different from writing a letter to the editor it's different genre from writing a letter to your fiancee it's different genre from writing a car manual or writing a poem or a proverb a psalm a documentary a piece of propaganda an advertising slogan well in the the bit that we're looking at today paul is writing a letter to his mate timothy and because it's a letter, as it's just a genre of a letter we understand that it's written to a particular situation at a particular time to a particular person and it means that some things will be said here which do apply just to that situation and some things uh, apply to general situations so some things will be said which apply here and now and they may or they may not be general rules should be applied in every situation, and our task is to try and filter that out. See what it is that's specific, see what it is that's general or what they call normative. And so, it'll take us a while, so we'll be in this uh, subject for a few weeks, I think. So, let's look at uh, 2 verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must remain quiet. So when it comes to understanding that, many guys are going to say, look around you, buddy. Look around. Women run countries. They run corporations. They employ. They manage. They exercise authority over men. Just catch up with the times. And so they are saying that this instruction applied to a particular time in history when women just didn't have enough general education, they didn't have the permission to do things they have now and what was relevant then is no longer relevant today. And that is a factor. But it's interesting when Paul talks about this he doesn't play the culture card he doesn't play the specific time in history card he doesn't play the context card he goes back before any cultural factors have had time to make an impact he goes very back to the very creation of mankind and he says there's something bigger going on than what evolves in various cultures at various times in the history he goes back to the beginning and so that's where we're going to the beginning we'll start on our biblical journey into the roles of men and women. Genesis chapter 1. And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them and God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground so we start not with culture but with God don't we What we are, as a man and a woman, as mankind, is a reflection, it's an image, a likeness of what God is like. And although the creation of man as male and female is not the only way in which we are in the image of God, we note how significant it is that maleness and femaleness is mentioned right there, right at the beginning of the creation of mankind. So I think there are three ways that our creation shows that image of God. It shows firstly in harmonious interpersonal relationships. It shows the image of God in equality and personhood and importance and also in difference in role and authority. So we'll look at those, have fir- got time to look at those first two points today. First one, the harmonious personal relationships see God didn't make us independent islands he made it made us so that we could have an interpersonal unity and there's various sorts of that we can have a deep interpersonal unity in our family we have a deep interpersonal unity amongst the people sitting alongside us this morning the church and then there's between a woman and a man in marriage and marriage does deserve a special mention because marriage reflects as an image the profound relationship between Christ and his church. Think about that. God set set up marriage at the very foundation of the world and he set it up to be a reflection of the relationship between himself and his church. From the foundation of the world, God set up this way to show what his love for his bride would be like. That's his love for us. Every believer. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. His body of which he is the saviour. So it's not just a physical unity, it's a spiritual, it's an emotional unity of profound dimensions. A husband and wife joined together in marriage are people that God has joined together according to Matthew 19, verse 6. And sexual union with someone other than your own wife, therefore, is really a very offensive kind of sin, and it's a sin against your own body. And within marriage, husband and wives no longer have exclusive rule over their own bodies, but they share them with their spouses. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, and the union between husband and wife is not temporary but lifelong. So this is not trivial. It's a profound relationship created by God in order to picture the relationship between Christ and his church. So we're in the image. What are we reflecting? The fact that God created two distinct persons as male and female rather than one person with both sexes is part of us being in the image of God and that reflects to some degree what we call the plurality of persons within the Trinity because the Trinity has three persons so in some way our male and f- being male or female re- reflects the fact that God is more than one person and the way the three persons in the Trinity get on gives us some information about how we should get on because we're image bearers we're reflecting in some way a Trinitarian God and what do we see there we see equality in personhood and importance you see just as the members of the Trinity are equal in importance and in their full existence as distinct persons so men and women have been created by God to be equal in importance and personhood. When God created man and man is the word for mankind it's just man he created both male and female there. and So that means that men and women are equally in God's image and both men and women reflect God's character in their lives and so we should see aspects of God's character or his nature reflected in each other's lives if we lived in a society consisting only of Christian men or only of Christian women we wouldn't get as full a picture of the character and nature of God as when we have both godly men and godly women in their complementary differences together reflecting the beauty of God's character What does it mean? It means if we're equally in God's image, then certainly men and women are equally important to God and equally valuable to him. We have equal worth before him for all eternity. And that means that because both men and women are image bearers or reflections of God, that no one should feel proud about that or no one should feel inferior about that because neither sex is better or worse than the other. You shouldn't feel proud or inferior because you're a man or a woman and if God (laughs) considers us equal in value then let's wholeheartedly embrace that fact because that's a fact that's going to last for eternity. The differences and interdependence 1 Corinthians 11:7 says a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God a woman is the glory of man and that's not denying that woman's created in the image of God it, it's simply saying that there are, there are abiding differences between men and women that should be reflected in the way they dress and the way they act in the congregation and one of those differences is that man, in relation to woman, has a particular role of representing God or showing what he is like, and woman in that relationship shows the excellence of the man from whom she was created, which means there's more. there's interdependence. Our equality as persons before God, which reflects, as I said, the quality of the equality of persons in the Trinity, what should that lead to should lead naturally to men and women giving honor to one another that means respect guys ladies think of the way a godly woman is honored in Proverbs 31 an excellent wife who can who can find she is far more precious than jewels her children rise up and call her blessed her husband also and he praises her and guys is a challenge for us today what he says many women have done excellently but you surpass them all when was the last time we said that to our lady i'm going to take my take my own advice here <laughs> charm is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman who fears the lord is to be praised Peter agrees with that in 1 Peter 3 7 he says husbands should be showing honor to their wives he says it this way husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers and Paul says similar in 1 Corinthians 11 Verse 11 to 12, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. See, both men and women are equally important. Both depend upon each other. Both are worthy of honour. We see this equality of personhood emphasized in the new church at Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell and, and it was fulfilling Joel's prophecy and he said in Acts 2.17 I will pour out my flesh, my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy even on my male servants and my female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy. And that's what happened. The Holy Spirit poured out his power on both men and women are given gifts at Pentecost and from then on throughout the history of the church throughout the history yes Paul regards every Christian as a valuable member of the body of Christ let's see that in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 to each is given the, a manifestation of the spirit for the common good and he mentions several gifts and, and he says in verse 11 all these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. And Peter, he does the same in one Peter four ten, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's various grace. Those passages don't teach that all believers have the same gifts, but they do mean that both men and women will have valuable gifts for the ministry of the church. And so it's not a competition. It's pointless to ask, who can pray more effectively, men or women? Who will have more spiritual sensitivity and depth of relationship with God, men or women? It's not the point. Because, and this is this is just an amazing thought, it's the same Holy Spirit in both men and women, isn't it? He doesn't have a different Holy Spirit and a different... And we know there's been great men and and women of God. There's been great men and women prayer warriors who've prevailed over earthly power and kingdoms and spiritual strongholds and authority in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you thought about how the ceremony of baptism emphasizes equality? At Pentecost, both men and women were baptised. You saw that in Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What did they have before this? If you, under the old covenant, the sign of membership of God's people was circumcision, which was obviously only given to men. But in this new sign of membership of God's people, baptism, that's men and women. And there's a quality of state Paul writes in his letter to Galatians, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul's really saying that no class of people can claim any special status or privilege in church no biological Jew no slave or employer no man or woman he doesn't want men to adopt some of the attitudes of the surrounding culture or the Judaism they had in those days he doesn't want them to think they're more important than women he doesn't want them to think they're more valuable to God you could say it this way there are no second-class citizens in the church and whether you be man or woman, your employer or unemployed, Jew or other, or black or white, rich or poor, young or old, healthy or ill, strong or weak, attractive or unattractive, extremely intelligent or slow to learn, you are equally valuable to God. And thus, you should be equally valuable to one another and consider each other like that. And that is distinctive. There's hardly any religion, there's hardly any culture which has this amazing equality. And those who claim that the church is a man club, which has oppressed women for millennia, they haven't read and understood the Bible, they haven't seen what difference Christianity has made in the history of the world, they are spouting claims for an anti-God, anti-biblical agenda. Don't listen to them. And that's where we'll leave it today with equality of personhood and importance. Both men and women are images of God, with interdependence, with mutual honouring, and harmonious relationships. Next week we'll consider the differences in role and authority. Will you pray with me? Precious Lord the same Holy Spirit in each of us a need to depend upon one another a need to honor one another and all our relationships a pale reflection of the wonderful relationship that you have with your church with the Bride of Christ And we are, as we finish, Lord, we want to thank you for that as the ultimate goal of history and humanity, to enjoy our relationship with, as the bride, to enjoy our relationship with the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. All honour and praise to you. Amen.